the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. We'll find out in a while why these false widow, noble false widow, call them what you will, spiders, why are they here? Because some of them might have come home from our holidays in Lanzarote in our suitcases. More on that in a little while. But first of all, let me go to Sarah Jane Dennehy. I'll go straight to Sarah Jane to ask you straight away, how is Charlie, Sarah Jane? Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. How is he? Charlie is flying it. He's uh, he's super. We were really, really lucky with the reaction that he had to the bites. Um, so if you were tuned into the news last night, you would have seen that he still has the bites there yeah. from a week ago now. Um, but he's not in any pain or discomfort with them, so we're just monitoring them and waiting for them to go down. So the kind of a frightening discovery, though. He started screaming or something, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So he was just, he got dressed as normal and he was playing for about 45 minutes and he just went apocalyptic. I've never heard him scream like what he was doing. So I took him up and I thought it was just a nappy and I stripped off the trousers and I immediately saw the bites on his leg. He had three big bites and his leg was really swollen and inflamed. Um, so I couldn't see what had caused it. So I stripped off his top and then just as I did that, a big noble false widow just crawled out from behind his ear. So Gave me the fright of my life. Did you recognise this or did you know what it was? No, not at all. Um, so it, just as it came out behind him, I just put it in a nappy bag um, just because of how upset he was. And I knew he'd probably have to go to the GP. So I wanted to bring it in with me in case I suppose it was the years of watching Steve Irwin growing up that if you're bitten by anything, you bring it in, capture it and bring it in with you. So... Oh, there's a name from the past. Good, good, good talk, though. And then who who recognised it as the as the as the widow? Um, I sent a picture through to my dad. Uh, my dad was in. He used to kind of monitor diseases, so uh, he immediately got on to um, John, Doctor John Dunbar, and Doctor Michelle Dugan up in NUIG, who were in the Venom Lab up there. Um, so before we'd even kind of got into the GP, we were tied into this uh, subject matter experts and Great. they kind of gave us quite a lot of guidance on what we were looking for and the different symptoms that come with the bites. So how did they sort out Charlie's pain? Cause he was obviously in pain. He was bless him. And he's so small as well. He's only 15 yeah. weeks. So there's really only so much they can give them at that age. Um, so he had paracetamol first, that kind of, he was bitten at half past 11 in the morning. That did him through to about half past one. Um, and then from half past one, we really couldn't manage the pain with paracetamol and ibuprofen. So we ended up taking him into hospital, um, mm. into A&E to see if we could get anything stronger. Um, but kind of by the time we were seen by a doctor in there, it was um, 10 o'clock at night. So it was 11 hours after the bite and the venom was kind of wearing off itself anyway. So yeah. a bit more ibuprofen um, and paracetamol. And we were we were home by midnight. So mm. he was OK. We were very lucky. Yeah. With him being so small, you'd be terribly worried. They're not particularly dangerous to humans, so we hear, but with him being so small and so helpless, you'd be worried. But Sarah Jane, you would have some experience of of venomous spiders. Your work has taken you to places like Iraq. It has, yeah. It's mad. I mean, I came home to have Charlie, so this scenario is something that we would have expected more to happen to us in Iraq rather than our back garden in Ireland. 
what what were you doing in Iraq? Are you allowed to tell me? <laughs> yeah, no, it's no secret. Um, myself and my husband were both working over there um, in relation to all the explosive devices left behind by ISIS. Okay. Um, so my husband is a country manager out there. Uh, he's in charge of the operational side. So that's where the physical manual clearance of all of these, okay. whether it's improvised devices or mortars or small arms um, and then I was running the explosive ordnance risk education program mm. uh, which was essentially going out into the communities and um, teaching them how to kind of live safely until the hazards could be removed. I see. I've, I've, I've a buddy works in that line of work. Um, fellow from Kerry, Mick Trent, Hector Pick actually works in various strange parts of the world. Interesting to come across somebody else who's who's done it. I'm told as well that you worked for the Halo Trust. That was Diana's charity, and of course, it's what 25 years now since she was since she died. Yeah, yeah. I was in um, Cambodia with the Halo Trust for uh, for about six months um, before I, I made the jump over to Iraq to um, join my husband. So that was a super experience. And that was kind of how I ended up getting into humanitarian mine action is the sector that we work in. Um, so the work that the Halo Trust is doing is just phenomenal. And it was a great kind of stepping stone into that world. And it's it's a brilliant place to be. It's really rewarding work. Did you did you meet your husband through work or is he local? Is it? Uh, no, he's local. We actually went to school together. We went to Bandon Grammar, um, so okay. it's and a it's an old an old and long one. Um, but yeah, we ended up kind of meeting again when we were twenty four, and that was it. So nearly ten years ago now. <laughs> and is is Charlie your first? Charlie is yeah. Charlie's number one baby. So. Mm. We're learning it all with them. Right. Do, 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 no plans to head back to that strange part of the world again, no? Uh, we do actually. We're going next month, yeah. <laughs> and will Myself he be going with you? He will, and the dog as well. So we're starting to pack up the bags now and really? get the house ready. Right. Yeah. So you, it'll be, with the dog, if the dog is going, it, it's, it's, it's medium to long term, is it? Yeah, it is. We'll, uh, we kind of have the intention of trying to do as much as we can overseas before we need to come back and get Charlie into okay. education. Um, so we'll bring him over and he's got he's got a big old family over there now who are dying to meet him. So You, you like it to. over there, do you? Yeah, it's brilliant. It's kind of, I suppose, it'll be our primary home now. We've been over there. I've been there four years. Mark's been there five years. Um so we have a great network over there and there's a huge support system. What kind of a place is it? I mean, we, we know nothing about it other than what we occasionally see on the television or read in the paper. What's, what's a place like Iraq like? Um, you get really opposite ends of the spectrum with Iraq. So where we'll be living with Charlie is Iraqi Kurdistan, um, which is an autonomous nation and really developed. It's kind of trying to probably be the next Dubai, where it's really coming up in the world, very westernised. Right. Then you go across the border into federal Iraq, where you're looking at Mosul, Kirkuk, Al-Anbar. You've got a huge amount of destruction still there. They've been quite slow on rebuilding. Um, and a huge amount of poverty. Um, the temperatures go from plus 50 to minus 10. So you have kind of people having to deal with really 
really difficult living situations as well, plus all of the explosive hazard contamination over there. Yeah, they were the people that had an awful time from from Saddam Hussein back back along. Uh, yeah, you'd be well used to spiders now, of course, after after Cork. And just your work is you teach people, is it, Sarah Jane? You teach people how to recognise landmines, is that it? Yeah, so I'd manage um, local national teams, so it would all be taught through Arabic. Um, and oh. we'd just create the content and they'd go out within the communities. And yeah, exactly, they'd just go into schools, refugee camps, and they'd just teach people how to recognise, how to avoid and how to report any explosive hazard that they might come across, really just really so they can live a bit more safely, yeah. You speak a bit of Arabic then, do you? Um, I do a little bit, not as much as I should, but uh, we've got some Arabic lessons lined up now when we when we get back out. Is is it a language? Because I'm just fascinated. It's it's is it a language that you pick up by, through immersion, like you'd pick up, say, French or Spanish or German by being there long enough, or or do you have to actually have it taught? Because they do everything they do everything backwards, don't they? It's all written the, the other way around and everything. Yeah, it is, and the the alphabet itself is entirely different. Um, so you pick up, you'd pick up. You pick it up by ear, um, yeah. but uh, the written stuff is you'd need a very dedicated tutor. Um, well, I do anyway. I'm not the not the best at the old written Arabic, but we'll get there. Writing writing the wrong way across a page, I don't think. Yeah. Or, or, or trying to use a, I can imagine trying to use a computer in Arabic, but it must be fun. Yeah, no, it's uh, we'd be trying to edit documents now as well in Arabic and like our Western computers don't like it at all. all right. Listen, safe journey back. Uh, your work out there seems fascinating and extremely noble work with, with, with people who've really been through it. Um, good, good luck to Charlie, good luck to the dog and good luck to Mark and yourself on the way back. <laughs> Sarah Jane, thank you for being with me. Thanks a million, PJ. Really appreciate it. Cheers, that's Sarah Jane Dinehy. Uh, her little boy Charlie was bitten by one of these false widow spiders. Isn't it amazing? Someone like that hits the headlines for a story about her little boy, and then you realise, hang on, there's a whole lot more to this person. That's what I love talking about. I love talking about people's backgrounds like that. It's it's really nice. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Back and I've seen drone footage of Iraq. And it's such a beautiful place. And they talk about, like she said, they talk about being the new Dubai or the next Dubai. I remember being in Lebanon years ago. I went over to do a documentary with the army in 1999. And as you drive down the coast of Lebanon from Beirut down, you can go down as far as the border with Israel to a place called Nakura. You drive up. What a gorgeous, gorgeous coast. It's incredible. Will we ever get to go on holidays in to beautiful places like that? Let's talk a bit more about this noble false widow spider. Um, joined from the Ryan Institute in NUI Galway by Dr. John Dunbar, who was one of the people that Sarah Jane contacted, or her dad did, uh, when little Charlie was bitten. John, good morning. Good morning. Good to thank you for taking our call. Tell us about this this thing. It's an invasive species. It eats ninety five percent of its prey. Is it particularly dangerous to humans, or was 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 Charlie very lucky? 
Yeah, so the False Will of Spiders in Ireland, documented in Ireland about 25 years now, and it has become, in some counties, uh, some of the most uh, common uh, urban spiders. And uh, we're starting to see during that time uh, a rise in uh, bites. Uh, and this is something we're not used to in Ireland because we never really had people complaining of uh, spider bites. Uh, you typically would be insect bites. Um, and we're starting to see uh, the range, uh, getting a better idea of the range of symptoms. And typically, uh, symptomology would be uh, mild to moderate, uh, sharp pain, redness, swelling. And uh, it, in some cases, it could uh, uh, cause the limb to swell, the whole limb to swell up. Mm. Now, in more severe cases, we've had people hospitalized just from the sheer debilitating pain. Uh, also, we've had people experience uh, body tremors. Uh, we had one lady who was sitting on the couch uh, feeding her nine-month-old baby, and she felt sharp pain on her hip. She stood up. She found a spider in her clothing, and she had immediate, uh, extremely sharp pain radiating all the way down from her, from her hip down to her ankle up to her neck and jawline. And then we've had cases of people uh, uh, had bacteria infections uh, as a result of this. In some cases, very severe, uh, hospitalised for a number of months. Wow! Is it the case though that a creature like this only bites if they feel trapped or threatened, like by us? I mean, if we sit on one of them or put one of the, if one of them is inside our jacket, if it's trapped, it bites. It's not actually aggressive to humans, is it? No, exactly. So where some insects would seek us out, you know, for, for a blood meal or something like a mosquito, spiders, in fact, do not target people at all. And they only uh, bite when they feel threatened. And that's typically when we accidentally, uh, uh, you know, crush them or, or so on. Uh, for whatever reasons, the, the false with the spiders seem to be regularly finding themselves entangled in our clothing. Uh, uh, sometimes bed sheets and uh, it's only really because we squash them uh, and that they give us a nip just because they feel scared right. but they're not at all Yeah, they're able to gauge and reading about them they're able to gauge just how much venom to use they're intelligent creatures for, for how intelligent a spider can be Yes, indeed, and and this is this is called the, the venom optimization hypothesis, and this is believed to be uh, across the board for probably all venomous animals because venom is metabolically expensive to produce. It's a really precious resource, and if you can imagine, if uh, if you use all your venom in one one chance of catching a meal, we're all familiar about watching uh, documentaries and seeing the lions chasing gazelles or, or zebras and the, the, the animal gets away, they've used up all their energy. Well, if you only have, if you like, one bullet uh, of venom and if you use that up, then you're in trouble if your prey gets away. Uh, but also if, if, you know, if you're being attacked by a predator and you have no venom left, well, you know, you're in trouble then because, you know, if you fail to escape predation, then then it's uh, end game. So they have to actually use uh, calculated decisions on how much venom they have left. So they, they're aware of how much venom they have left and how much they can use. And what happens is a lot of animals uh, that have been studied with this, they've been observed avoiding larger animals, larger, uh, definitely predators, mm. but also even they won't normally tackle uh, larger prey when they have used already some of their venom. So if you, and come, only, if you come across one of these lads in the back garden, he's just going to run away from you? 
Uh, well, most of the time to do because I spend a lot of time uh, searching for these to catch them for for my uh, venom research, and most of the time it's 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 not impossible to catch them. Like obviously we catch a lot of them, but you have to be really on the ball because once they see you or they're aware you're there, they'll just scatter off. Yeah. Now they came here. They're native to the Canary Islands and Madeira. One thing I'm thinking, John, is. You know, the people going on holidays to Lanzarote and Tenerife and Fuerteventura and all those wonderful places could inadvertently bring these lads home in their rucksacks or their suitcases. Absolutely, because the, the babies are absolutely tiny. You know, most baby spiders are, are really small. And they do, you know, in some cases they, they can balloon. Uh, that's when they're babies. They, they spin a bit of silk into the air and the wind just takes them off. You know, it's, it's, lots of spiders do this and some of them are even found in the jet stream. They, they travel so high. But uh, it's believed, it's speculative, but it's believed that they were uh, being transported in bananas uh, and other fruits. Uh, this is very plausible. Uh, but also uh, garden centre imports. Um, but but very interestingly, we've uh, we have a case where it was a guy in uh, Ashbourne, and he imported a truck, uh, sorry, a van, a vintage van from California, and the van had been sitting in California for about ten years, uh, and then when it was damaged in the fires in two thousand and seventeen, I think it was, it was imported over, and we found uh, black widows, true black widows, oh. and false widows. So we've actually it, we've taken the false widows as well, and we we've studied their genetics, and we're trying to uh, see if they have a different uh, genetic identity to the ones in Ireland, and to see does it match more closely to the ones in California. And this would be an example uh, of a, 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 an invasion event. Where, uh, where where it kind of demonstrates that the, the invasion of the noble false widow spider in Ireland may not have been a single event, that there may have been okay. constant reoccurrences. Over a number of years. You mentioned the, the black widow there. Now, is it be... The, 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 the name is strange. Noble false widow. Yes. So Before that, this is a common name. That. Oh, yeah. So, so well, one thing is the the false widows look very like black widows, and um, the in many parts of the world, uh, you you find false widows uh, very closely uh, to black widows. Uh, I, I remember the first time I arrived in Morocco uh, for a study, uh, we were in uh, one little patch, uh, probably only a couple of hundred square feet, and I was finding false widows. And black widows in the in the same area. So right across the board, uh, their habitats they they share habitats. So a lot of people when they find black widows, they know by the the red hourglass uh, that it's a true black widow. But when they see the other ones, quite often when they're when they're very mature, they go very dark black and they have the same shape and they look like them. But they can tell when they don't have the the red hourglass that they do uh, that they're not true black widows. But quite often they do have a very similar uh, effect when they're yeah. when they're bitten. On the black widow, is he, is he much more dangerous? Well, the the black widow. Uh, Black widow bites like they they bite thousands of people a year, and seventy percent of those cases you don't even need to go to a GP. Uh, in you know a few cases uh, where you do need to attend, they're usually not always that serious, and very rarely do black widows actually kill people. Good. Um, yeah. And lastly, how would recognise the noble fella if if you see a spider in the kitchen, or will he come in? Do, do, yeah, will they come into the house? 
Yeah, occasionally they do. Uh, most people who, uh, who are bitten are actually bitten while they're in bed asleep or resting on the couch, maybe. Uh, so the, the false widow seems to uh, get itself all regularly entangled in clothing and bed sheets. And that's typically where people are bitten. Uh, in contrast, people who are typically bitten by black widows are usually out in the fields and so on in the garden. But uh, false widows end up find themselves uh, entangled in clothing. But they do come into the house sometimes, but they seem to prefer outdoor habitats closely, you know, associated with uh, human habitats like buildings and stuff. Right. And what do they look like, lastly? So you're, they're, you're, they're going to be small, probably a marble size a spider. Uh, and they're going to be typically uh, the big ones, uh, the mature ones, uh, the adult ones are going to be dark in coloration. Uh, they're going to have a distinctive cream stripe uh, running across the front of their abdomen. And uh, sometimes you can see a pattern on the abdomen. It's a, it's a, a kind of like a bright cream, intricate pattern. Sometimes it resembles a skull, actually. And they're they're quite pretty spiders. They you don't sometimes you do, but you don't typically see them running around the way you do other uh, NATO spiders. They typically reside on their webs, and you usually see them uh, in the evening at night time when it gets dark. If if you go into your garden and shine a torch around your garden, you'll probably see a few in the garden on the web hanging upside down. Okay. All right, John. Thank you very much, Dr. John Dunbar from the Ryan Institute in NUI Galway. Courts 96 FM.